Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 166 of the show, and today we've got Jeff Packard and Neil Wenger joining us, and they are the co-founders of Nonfiction, a design agency here in town. Jeff and Neil have a great story and a lot of good advice for any aspiring entrepreneurs out there, young professionals. So I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode, and as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit found by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Conquerors. Let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Jeffrey Packard and Neil Wenger joining us. And Jeff and Neil are partners at Nonfiction, a local branding and design agency based in Worthington. And their team works with clients like Huntington Bank, Columbus State, Ballet Met, and Echo Spirits Distilling. They envision every design project with less complexity and noise and more honesty and meaning, which is how they help their clients stand out by being easier to understand so they can make stronger, more meaningful connections with their customers and stakeholders. Both Jeff and Neil come from agency backgrounds, but when they founded Nonfiction in 2018, they wanted to ensure that they were more than just graphic designers. Rather, they became part of the strategy process, helping their clients grow and evolve, and we're really excited to have them on the show today to talk about Nonfiction and everything they have going on. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, gentlemen. 
Thank, Thank you. you. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you, and we're always excited to uh, sit down with folks from around Columbus to talk about their business and everything they have going on. So I guess typically kind of one of the first places we like to start is take a step back, talk about how you got to where you are today. So what were some key moments for both of you before founding nonfiction along your career, and even as far back as school, growing up, things like that? We both worked together um, at a much larger agency in town, both of us graphic designers. And I left that agency almost 10 years ago. And Neil, I think you left. I left four, uh, four, four years ago. I left there at the end of uh, 2016. So we were both working on our own, um, getting to a point where we were both getting more and more work coming in the door and we needed help. And so we were both using freelancers, getting to the point where we're starting to weigh that freelancer versus hiring, as all businesses that start to grow do. And uh, we stumbled across each other again at a, um, what was the event? Startup Week. Startup Week. And I was giving a presentation on a panel, and Neil was in the audience, and we saw each other and just struck up a conversation. And so we started kind of helping each other on each other's projects and realized we worked really well together. And the rest is history, so to speak. You're both here in Columbus, born and raised? No. Um, I am from about an hour and a half north of here, Amish country. And then I went to school up in Kent at Kent State. And um, I, I kind of always knew that this is something I wanted to do, um, work for myself, start my own studio, have my own clients. And it's been kind of a strategic process of getting to this point, uh, learning as much as I can in school, and then going out and cutting my chops at, at an agency and really learning how to do the work, how to interact with clients, and kind of on the side, kind of figuring out uh, business stuff as I can. And uh, at some point, it was just time to, to take the leap before kids, before uh, all those adult kind of responsibilities kicked in. And, uh, and that's where we are today. So like Jeff said, I was on my own for about two years um, as Graphica and merged together a year and a half ago and haven't looked back. I'm curious, Neil. You said that, you know, all the things you have going on, you always knew you really wanted to be your own agency, your own customers. For me, myself, right, I growing up, I think I started out wanting to be a paleontologist, then I decided to apply to Ohio State for journalism, then I went to school to be a dentist, and here I am now being a salesperson and running a podcast like this. So yeah. it's I'm always interested in learning more about how people who knew what they wanted to do kind of found that out. Was it just something born into you? Was there something particular that, that drove you to want to be an entrepreneur? Uh, not necessarily an entrepreneur, more of a designer. And I've always been creative, and it's, it's the typical story. You grow up drawing and just constantly doing, expanding artwork, doing painting, doing drawing, lots of stuff, lots of art classes in high school. Wanted to, uh, to go to school for fine arts and realizing that there's not a whole lot of, of job opportunities there, unfortunately. And I was really lucky to have a high school art teacher who went to school for design and then got into education, but she had the same degree I had, went to the same school I eventually went to, and she took me up there, took me on a tour, showed me the ropes, and really exposed me to what design is. And so as far as being an entrepreneur, it, it was, it's a little bit more of just being able to control my own destiny a little bit more, and less of the business side. It was more about the freedom of it, and I've grown to, to enjoy the business side as I've gotten into it but it was really the, the draw of the freedom for me. 
I had a very different experience. I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do uh, coming out. I likewise in high school took a lot of art classes, was very interested in that. I have two very responsible parents. And those parents basically made it known that I needed to do something that was going to result in a job, paying job, have a family. And so I went to Ohio State. So I did grow up in Columbus, um, went to Ohio State, and uh, started off in aerospace engineering. I think I was confused and thought that that was going to be the design of cars, not the engineering of cars. Quickly got in and realized the calculus and the physics and backed out of that and then thought, okay, what's the next step away from that architecture? Great, it's getting me closer to the art that I want to do. Still calculus and physics. And ultimately kind of lost my way while I was an undergrad and ended up in photography more as a hobby than a trade. And somewhere during that course of studying photography, started running across people that were studying graphic design and realized that's what I wanted to do. And I basically started a double major. Uh, long story short, I ended up finishing Ohio State with a photography degree, going out to Philadelphia uh, for graphic design, and then coming back to Columbus. So we get back to Columbus, and you two meet at this particularly it was a startup event, startup week mm-hmm. event, right? Yep. And realize you're working well together. When do you start thinking about actually coming together and forming a business? And kind of when do you realize, like, hey, we might actually be able to pull this together into one packaged offering? I think it, it was kind of an interesting moment. We, I think we both had been thinking it, but neither one of us had said it outright. We went to lunch one day and just kind of looked at each other like, what if we formalized We're already working together a lot on some big projects. What if we just formalized it? And it just turned out that we were both thinking that. So when you guys met at that startup week, you didn't actually form it right there through that conversation. It was kind of a a reformative relationship, and then you began to work on projects together. Yeah, yeah. We we met. um, I was actually there to see another client speak, and and I happened to see Jeff on the panel. And we talked. I, I think what you said was you needed some freelance help. And I said, great. And then we got lunch and started, I started doing some freelance work for Jeff because um, I was kind of balancing freelance work and my own clients at the time. And uh, as we got into that, the projects got larger. And then there was a particular project where uh, we said, well, let's write this proposal together and kind of go 50-50 on this and see if we can get this bigger job together. And then from there, it was like, all right, so that was really successful. How do we grow this business? And Jeff was spending a, a ton of money on freelancers and I was looking to grow the business because when you're, you're a single person, it's, it's challenging to talk to bigger clients. Do you say I? Do you say we? How do you talk about your team? Because there's always a team, even if it's just you. And so by joining together, uh, we, we doubled the size of our company overnight, which was nice. And it kind of gave us the resources to grow in a way that we wouldn't have been able to on our own. It answered the hiring question for us. You know, I was on the verge of really needing to hire somebody. Neil was getting kind of fully booked on his own projects plus a couple of big things that we had and it just made it easy. This is how we could hire somebody. This is how we could turn this into an actual full agency. So when that first hire comes about and you turn it into something legitimate, you know, what are the first early days, like the thoughts in your head, what the days looked like, what the work looked like, how did you finally form the company? It was a little chaotic. We, so we started the business January 1st, 2018. Uh, We signed a lease January, February. We're moving in in March. And literally the Monday that we moved into the office was the day that our first designer started. So it was a little chaotic. So we were dealing with being in a new office. We were dealing with 
having an employee for the first time. But it just kind of settled in. You know, we both had been, knew what it was like to work with freelancers. It wasn't any different except that the person was there with us all day so that we could have deeper conversations about what we were doing. It was pretty natural. I, both of us were wrapping up our own client work and kind of transitioning them to the same people but a different name and going through all the paperwork that is required with technically changing vendors and things like that. Uh, and so it's not like it was a case where we need to figure out how to ramp up and get clients because we already had that stuff from before, which was nice. And it was it was a very natural transition, I think, because we had we had been working together for probably about a year at that point, right? Maybe a little bit less than that, but a really natural transition just to have my clients become our clients and vice versa. Uh, I had been working out of my house at the moment, in my, my home office, and you were working downtown. So really the only transition I had was to to get used to having to go somewhere again every day, which wasn't a big deal. That's probably been the biggest change for both of us, is we were so used to having our own schedules, because there was nobody else in my office with me, and there was nobody else in his house with him. So if he wanted to go out and ride a bike, he'd go out and ride a bike in the middle of the day. If I wanted to go out and you know take half a day off and go see a movie, I could go do that. And I think that's probably been the biggest change with the staff, is we feel like we have to be there. You know, we need to be there to make sure that the wheels are turning, to make sure that everybody's having things done. We still have some flexibility in that. Yeah, it's not like I feel like that we need to be there to make sure the kids are behaving, because it's not like that at all. I mean, we, we completely trust them. It's it's more of like, well, if we're asking them to be there, we feel like we should probably be there, too, even though we technically don't have to. And we definitely take a lot of flexibility. I mean, if my daughter gets sick, I go do that. If somebody has an appointment, we do that. But... Uh, that was a big shift. Uh, definitely the change in schedules. It's still very flexible, but there is a much more defined uh, period of time that we have to be in the office. I think there are a ton of unexpected realizations when you start your own business. And so I had that when I left the big agency and went out on my own. And then I had that again when we formed nonfiction. And it's, you don't know what you don't know. And you discover it along the way, and you this is the lifelong learning process, right? You learn by doing. And I think that's probably been the biggest thing for us is we're figuring it out as we go. So other than you, you mentioned that hiring employee or one early on, pretty much like hiring a freelancer, but you got more time with them. As as the company has continued on the path and you know over the past year or two, have you seen differences in that now? Are you seeing more of those things of because I think that there are certain things that an employee asks for uh, the longer they're there that maybe a freelancer you never get around to, like benefits conversations and growth and things like that. Have you seen any of that coming into play? I don't think so. I mean, we, we do those things, and we had a pretty generous benefits package when we hired uh, Zach, our first designer, and we wanted that to be the case. We wanted it to be a, a place that would provide for the people that are working for us. And so... I'm going to disagree with Jeff a little bit. I don't think it was exactly like having just a freelancer come in full time. It was a, it definitely felt like he was part of the team, and it, the the difference is we kind of have to think about their career trajectory a little bit too, and not just ours. Whereas if it's a freelancer, it's on them to figure out where they're going, what they want to do, and it's just it's we just need to manage them on that particular project. And now it's it's how do we be good mentors of these people who are young and coming up in their careers. How many designers do you have today? Two. Two? So we doubled again. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so double day one and double in a year, about a year and a half now. So um, when, did, when did the second one join on? Last August. Last yeah. August. So okay. we, we doubled the second time 
eight months in. Right. Yep. Yeah. So that, it's, I mean, that's great growth, and it's it's good to see bringing new people in. How has uh, on the sales side of things, right? How has that process been? Are are you guys mostly referral based? Are you kind of working your networks a lot? Talk to me about that process. It's definitely network. Uh, when Neil and I kind of our paths crossed, and we realized, oh, he's working with people that were either former clients or people that we worked with in that other agency who are now client side. I had the exact same experience. One of the things I tell everybody that's in their 20s, network, network, network. I wish somebody had told me that my whole career was going to be about networking, and it has. Every job that I've got is because I knew somebody. Every client that I'm getting now is because I've known somebody. We're finally getting to that point where the network is getting a little thinner, and so, or at least the network from our previous lives, we're at a point where we're doing a lot of new business pushing right now. All right, Conquerors, we're going to take a quick break here in the show to tell you about a group called Columbus Gives Back. If you're looking for a way to get involved in your community, but you don't know where and how to start, look no further than Columbus Gives Back. By partnering with over 150 Central Ohio nonprofits, Columbus Gives Back makes volunteering fun and easy by offering 30 to 40 volunteer events each month that are free of cost, commitment, and hassle. Sign up for your first event today at columbusgivesback.org. That's columbusgivesback.org. Conquering Columbus would also like to take a moment to thank the 11th Candle Company. 11th Candle Company may be in the business of selling candles, but the social enterprise thrives on igniting hope. Employing women who have experienced human trafficking, 11th offers the resources to redeem, empower, and support them on their journeys to burn bright again. Every candle sold shines a light on an issue that often walks in darkness and provides hope to once trafficked women on their path to redemption. Come pour your own candle of hope at Polaris Fashion Place across from the Apple Store or visit www.11thcandlecompany.com. That's www.11thcandlecompany.com, and that'll be linked down in the show notes. All right, Conquerors, let's get back to this episode. So, and you both spent some time as professors. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and what that experience was like for you both? I like that professor. I don't know if I'd call ourselves professors, but we'll take it. Um, <laughs> I'm conquering Columbus for professors. <laughs> professors. <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah, I, I taught at Otterbein for a single semester uh, to fill in for somebody who had gone on sabbatical. And again, like starting my own business, it was something that I've always thought I would like to do. And so when the, the chance arose, I, I took it. It was a lot of work. It was a lot more work than I think I anticipated. Uh, the, the professor went on sabbatical, the real professor went on sabbatical, and basically said, do what you want. I mean, here's the class. I, I basically had the name of the class, but the curriculum was essentially up to me. So I had to create all of the, the things we needed to do. It was essentially the first design class these students have at, at Otterbein. And so I had to think back to my time in school. What did I learn? Uh, what would I have liked to learn? And then I also had to think about where they were and how that fit into their education. And whereas I had five years of design classes, the design program there is essentially crunched into two years. And so I had to try to fit like two semesters worth of education into one class. But it, it was a really great experience because I, I love mentoring younger designers and kind of showing them what design can be. It's not just about uh, making pictures, it's not art. It's about understanding where people wanna go and trying to predict the future and create the future in that way and help them get there. And, I, and selfishly, it was a nice way to solidify my own philosophy a little bit because in order to teach them, I had to actually understand my approach to things and how 
things should be done, or at least the way I think should, things should be done. And I had to formalize that. And so in a way, it was a really nice exercise for me to figure out my thoughts in a way that I hadn't really done before, too. Yeah, I had a very similar experience. Um, it was a lot more work than I expected. So I also did one semester, but at CCAD. And again, it was the same kind of class. It was the very first intro to design class that these students had. And I was expecting it was a four-hour-a-week class. I was expecting maybe to put another two hours in a week prepping and grading. It was probably 10 hours a week on top of that. So that's kudos to all the professors out there. They really they do a lot more behind the scenes than we yeah. ever know. The one thing I will add to that is I, t I wanted to teach that class because from the time that I was in college, I realized what a profound impact that my professors had. They changed my world, especially in my design professors. Once I finally found the thing that I knew I wanted to do, I was all in, and I had professors that were all in. And I wanted to be that for this class that I was teaching. I wanted to be that person who was excited about this and who was thrilled that they wanted to be a part of it. And I wanted to share everything. I probably overshared. I have a tendency to overshare. But I think that they left that class feeling like, yes, I'm sold. This is what I want to do. And that's what I wanted, was get them excited about that. So when you talk about starting nonfiction, what were some of the, you mentioned how you wanted to be different and you guys didn't want to be just another graphic design agency out there. So what were some of the big clients you landed first on? And then what did that look like? How did you position yourselves with them? What pitch or what vision did you sell them on? I started, I, I got very lucky when I left the other agency. Within six months, I had a medium-sized, I had Capital University. And we started with small projects, and it just escalated from there. And then about six years in, um, they had a transition to a new president, and I saw the writing on the wall. But luckily, right before that, the same thing that happened with Capital University happened with Huntington, which was knew somebody there, got in, started doing small projects, kind of proved myself. Neil came on board, and we just escalated that up to the point where we were doing amazing big projects for them. So I had the luxury of having two very large clients that kept me going pretty much full time as I was getting going and into the beginning of nonfiction. Yeah, I didn't have that luxury. I, I pretty much, I, I didn't want to try to do the whole start a business on the side and work full time thing. It was just, it was too much. And so I did the risky thing and just kind of went cold turkey. Um, luckily I had one client I'd been working with and so they kind of got me going a little bit. It was a, a, a meadery, uh, honey wine. And so I was doing packaging for them uh, and then, same as Jeff, is I just started talking to people that I had either worked with before or I knew and just started building connections. And my first real big connection was Columbus State. And uh, I did a little bit of branding work for them for a, a program, uh, for a cybersecurity program they got a grant from for the, from the NSA. And so I did a little logo and identity for that so they could promote that. And then from there, it grew into doing the capital campaign for uh, Mitchell Hall, which is opening here in about a month. And, uh, and from there, it's just grown, and we've done a lot of work for them over the past couple of years, from um, marketing for specific programs to bigger campaign-type things. And then that was, that was kind of the biggest relationship. And then the other thing that started to happen was uh, getting smaller branding projects for uh, startup-type companies, and not, not the typical tech-type startups, but um, businesses like distilleries and breweries, which was a lot of fun. And so we've been working with uh, Echo Spirits for about two and a half years now. Um, and so they were kind of the other one that kind of got us going. And then 
And then our first big project together, the one that we went 50-50 on before we formed a nonfiction, was Antioch College. It was a school that had shut down because of financial reasons. They got the school back going. They had just gotten their accreditation, and that was one that was outside of our network. They found me, and Neil and I kind of went in on that together, and that was a fantastic project. So that was, we, you know, we had our individual things that we brought together, but then we had this one great project that just proved to ourselves that we could work well together. Yeah, and I think the thing that we really wanted to emphasize, and it, it took us a long time to be able to translate this into positioning for ourselves and how to talk about it, but we wanted to be seen as thinkers and not doers. I think there are a lot of people that, could perceive graphic designers as somebody that, oh, they, they flow in the copy and they put the picture here and they make the logo bigger and, and that's what they do. But we want to be seen as, as partners and to really understand somebody's business and what they're trying to do and help them anticipate where they're going and then help them figure out how to get there. Uh, and so when they come to us with something that they want, we want to be able to question them and say, is that really, is that really what you need to do? You say you need brochure but what if you actually need a website uh, and really have a seat at their table and help them row whatever it is they're doing and one of the things I you know curiosity and I'm always curious about I guess would be the best term uh, is taking that brand right somebody who's like an Antioch college right who's got really big brand problems and finding a way to rebrand it or taking somebody who maybe doesn't have that brand yet is in the process of building it up I guess play more like uh, echo distilling where they're kind of young don't have a brand yet, and figuring out what they represent, what they stand for, and turning that into something. So what's that process look like for your team when you sit down with a client? I mean, whether it's on a project as large as your brand or a project as small as, like like you said, a website or a brochure. Yeah, well, let's, let's use Echo as an example. That's, that one's fresh. What that looked like was uh, just asking a lot of questions. I, I like to, to joke with clients that all we do is tease the answers out of them. They have all the answers. They know who they are and where they're trying to go, and we... We're just good enough at asking the right kinds of questions. And so um, we sit down with them, we do a workshop, we help them understand the difference between their brand and their identity because they're two different things. Their brand is emotional and it's what they stand for and their identity are all those tangible things that represent it. We help them understand that difference and then we start with their brand and we figure out why do they exist in the first place. It's To use exam, uh, Echo as the example again, they make rum and gin and other things like that that's great, so do a lot of other people, but why are they doing it, and why are they different, and why do we need another distillery? And it's about figuring out that core of their brand, and then from there, everything comes off of it. That creates the, the strong foundation, and everything goes back to that. That is going to make emotional connections with all of their customers. And so it's about uncovering that little nugget, helping them understand it, showing them how to use it, and then building off of that. How have you seen your guys' uh, organization change since January 2018 when you started all the way until now, or has it changed at all? I think, I think it's just maturing. You know, we've got a couple of designers. We're maturing. Those two designers, one was right out of college, literally right out of college, and the other one had a year and a half, two years under his belt. I think we're becoming, we're, we're learning the new business, we're learning the mentoring, things that weren't part of sitting down at a computer and designing before. That was really our focus. So I think that the two of us are really learning all of a sudden new skill sets that's positioning the business differently for us. Previously it was, you know, when you're starting out, we'll take kind of any client that comes along, we'll try and turn it into the client, the kind of client we want. Now we're really 
getting the types of work in that we want. Because we've been doing the kind of work we want to do, we're attracting those kinds of clients. And that, I think, is the biggest change in the last year and a half is we're really doing amazing work for amazing clients doing amazing things. That's great. And, and so let's talk a little bit about kind of pivoting towards the goals in the long term. What do you think in long term, three to five years, what are your goals? Where do you see things going? Do you see growth on the horizon? Do you want to keep adding more designers? Or do you want to focus more on optimizing the business process and these great projects you're working on and enjoying? Yeah, I think it's definitely more of uh, quality of projects over quantity. And it's, it's, we, we wouldn't mind growing a little bit more, but it's going to be slow. I mean, we, we doubled twice in the first year. That's not something we're interested in doing in the long term. I think we're going to be set at our size for a while and just really get good at the projects we're doing, be able to take on the right projects for the right kinds of people that are really going to value what we're bringing to the table and not get into the trap of, of trying to scale up and then have projects to match that. Yeah, the last thing we want to do is just have to feed the machine. You know, you get too big, you take on every project just to make payroll. We do not want to do that. So we'll turn things away that just don't feel like good fits for us. And what do you foresee the biggest challenges of the future goals that you guys have been? I think one of the things that we're trying to figure out is the right balance of long-term relationship clients and kind of... Um, quick turn projects. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do the thinking and doing. But what it means to me is, again, like Huntington, we really, you know, we started off with small projects, but we became a part of their team. I think that's what we're interested in is having a few of those clients that really we feel like, we, we say we, and we're not just talking about nonfiction, we're talking about ourselves as part of our client's team. That becomes something where we know them as well as they know them. We can talk about them as if we're part of them. So it just becomes very natural. I think we're looking at a little bit more of that as we move forward. And that helps then support the ability to take on some really great projects that may not be as high a budget, but are really great projects with really strong people wanting to do amazing things. Yeah, and I think the other challenge that goes along with that is, is earning the attention of those bigger clients and those longer-term relationships because even as a team of four now, we're, we're a lot larger than just one person, but we're still a new company, and it's difficult to to get people to listen when they don't know who you are. And so it's a lot about building credibility, um, doing the best work we can, even if the budget's a little bit low, just to continue to increase visibility and increase our presence mm -hmm. and increase our reputation, and that's that's the challenge right now. Well, that makes a lot of sense, and I... I think it's a good place to kind of pivot towards some of our last questions of the show. And we're talking a little bit about a lot of our listeners out there listening, entrepreneurs, young professionals here in the town, around Columbus. And uh, what advice would you guys give to them after your career jumping into entrepreneurship? Anything? Yeah, I, I think two things. Number one, just to remember that it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, I think it's easy to fall into the, the hustle trap. And at least for us, it's, a, it's about creating long-term sustainability and the ability to, to, to do this. I mean, it'd be great to never have to find another job. And remembering that you don't have to do everything at once, take it day by day, and, and kind of figure it out as you go along. Everybody's making it up as they go along, even if it doesn't seem like it. And so you'll get there, and it just takes time. And then the second thing, I think, would just be to find a mentor, even if that's a virtual mentor someone in the community that you know that can mentor you or 
just find some really good books or podcasts or people that share your philosophy both on life and business and figure out what they know and how to apply it to what you're doing. I love the entrepreneurial spirit. I, uh, what I typically tell people is whether you're coming right out of college, whether you've worked for five years or ten years, if you have that inkling of going out and doing your own thing, follow that. Do it on the side for a little bit. You know, if you feel like you've got that skill set, I have this really, some people say bad metaphor, but this idea that you have a parachute on full of all of your skills that you've accumulated. You step to the edge of that airplane and jump out. You're going to be able to open that chute and you're going to land safely. And I, I think that most people are too scared to take that first step out of the airplane, even though they know they have this parachute on. And so I try to tell everybody, don't do anything rash, be rational, spend time thinking about it. But after three months, six months, a year, it just does, that feeling of wanting to go do your thing doesn't go away. Go do your thing. You can do it. Well, Jim, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's a great place to kind of head towards our last question of the show. It's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that phrase for a uh, podcast about entrepreneurs, what do you think of when you hear the phrase, how does it apply to your life and careers? I, I quit my job without a backup plan. Um, and Neil, I think you had at least an inkling of a backup plan, but I literally, I made it through the recession. I watched a lot of people lose their jobs. I was exhausted. I just quit. And there, that, you know, everybody around me was, Jeff, what are you doing? And I figured it out. You know, we, we're smart people. We do, we can do anything we set our minds to. And I think that Everybody needs to take a risk at some point. So mine was literally just quitting a job without a plan. And things line up. You have to do the hard work, but things line up. And so I would just, I'm not telling everybody out there to go quit your jobs, but I am saying that um, risk is a good thing. You'll, you'll reap rewards from it. Yeah, and to me, when I hear live uncomfortably, I'm reminded of um, something that the cyclist Greg LeMond said back in the 80s when he was uh, a little less pudgy and winning the Tour de France. He said, it never gets easier, it just gets faster. And I think that's kind of how life is. As you mature, as you figure out what you're doing, it, it doesn't get easier, it just gets faster. And you take on new skills, and there's new skills you have to learn. So to me, I think if you're not a little bit uncomfortable, it's like, it's like riding a bike. If you want to get faster, you've got to be a little bit uncomfortable. And if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. And so you just kind of have to embrace that a little bit. Well, Jeff, Neil, thanks a lot for joining us today. It's great answers, both of you. And really appreciate you taking the time to share your story and talk about nonfiction here on the show. Great. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Yeah, and Conquerors, thanks a lot for tuning in. That was Jeff and Neil from Nonfiction. If you guys want to learn more about their team or anything we talked about today, don't hesitate to check out the links down in the show notes. Again, we really appreciate you all tuning in every week. And as always, if you like that episode, leave us a like on Facebook, share us with your friends, give us a review on iTunes. All that support really does help us out. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like, share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes. It really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. 
Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.